Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. Today I'm interviewing authors for the Writers Unleashed Sutherland Shires Writers Festival. It's such a privilege to be podcasting for this wonderful festival and a shout out to organiser extraordinaire Danuka McKenzie. Today I am super excited to welcome Alan Baxter, a British-Australian multi-award winning author of horror, supernatural thrillers and dark fantasies. He's also a martial arts expert, a whiskey-soaked swear monkey, which sounds interesting, and dog lover. He creates dark, weird stories among dairy paddocks on the beautiful south coast of New South Wales, Australia. The author of more than 20 books, including novels, novellas, and three short stories. That's very impressive. Welcome to the podcast, Alan Baxter. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. That's Lovely. three short story collections, by the way. I've written wow. more than 80 actual short stories. <laughs> wow. I don't doubt that at all when I was Yeah, I'm a big up. fan of the short fiction form. I love it. Well, tell me why. Why is that um, so appealing to you? Um, I, to be honest, I can't tell you why. I don't know. I just love it. I discovered when I was probably about 12 years old, um, I found Roald Dahl books on my parents' bookshelves. Uh, and I knew Roald Dahl for all the usual children's reasons. Um, and then I started reading these books like Switch Bitch and Kiss Kiss and stuff like that, which were these weird twisted short stories for adults. Um, and it just, yeah, blew my mind. I've kind of loved them ever yeah. since. But I actually, when I started writing, I started with novels. Mm-hmm. Then people said, you know, you should write some short stories. It's a good way to get your name out there and get your name known. And I thought, well, that's cool. And I love short stories. Why not? And then, of course, I realised how bloody hard that was. Um, <laughs> so then I spent a long time sort of figuring out how to write good short stories. And mm. I've just come to love it even more. So short stories and novellas and novels. I love all the lengths for different reasons. Yeah. I think um, people underestimate how difficult it is to write a short story. Would you agree? Definitely. Definitely. It takes a lot longer to write a novel. Apart from anything else, obviously, just literally the number of words, but it's actually harder to write a short story. It's easier to write a novel if you put the time in. It's harder to write a good short story. It's uh, it's it's a unique sort of skill set. It's similar in its own way, you know, beginning, middle, end, all the sort of there's got to be conflict, character development, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff's got to be there. But it's such a tightly focused lens and it's it, it's, a, it's a different art form. It's yeah, mm, yeah, Absolutely. I always think because every word is exposed, you can't waste any words. You've got to go deep mm. with the characters so you care with the characters. But That's right. it's, it's such a short period of time, right? Yeah, especially these days because a lot of markets now for that, that buy short fiction are a little bit more restrictive on word count. It used to be that you could pretty much guarantee anything up to 7,500 words for pro markets. These days, a lot of the time, you're lucky to get 5,000 words. Um mm. But then that's why I love novellas, because the, the novella is making a real resurgence at the moment, especially in dark fiction and horror. It's a fantastic length for that because it's like the focus of a short story, but it's got more space to breathe. And so you can have more character and subplot and stuff going on. So I've been really enjoying novellas too. Mm. As a reader, I really enjoy um, short stories and novellas because it's so satisfying because, you know, you mm. can sit down, grab your cup of tea and you can finish in, in one sitting. Like, I really enjoy that. It's a great thing, isn't it? And it's also a really good way to um, potentially court new readers because mm-hmm. if someone's going to check out your stuff and you've got to spend 10, 12 hours on a novel, that's a big commitment for someone you don't know. But if you can, as you say, if you can literally sit with a cup of tea and read a short story or you can sit down of an evening for one or two hours and read a novella, you get a real good taste of that author without you know, too much commitment of time. And then hopefully if they enjoy that, they then do move on to the novels and stuff as well. So Yeah, I like that because it is a novels are a huge commitment, you know, particularly we're yeah. all busy. We've all got all these distractions in our lives that it, you know, it's easy to sit and watch TV. You know, I don't yeah, actually exactly. enjoy it as much. I like reading books better, but yeah. it's, it's I mean, a big commitment. That's it. You can sit and watch an hour of a TV show or you can sit and read a novella for an hour. It's a, you know, it's mm. balanced. That's kind of what in some ways led to the gulp because that's five novellas in a 
novel yes. book. So that was me deliberately sort of bridging that gap. So, yeah, there's a lot of scope for playing around with that. Absolutely. Now tell me about The Gulp because I, I do want to really talk about that. Now five novellas in one story. How did that happen? Was that a deliberate choice? Were you just going to write one novella? Did then five come out? Tell us how that worked. It, well, it's a, it's a weird, um, well, as in everything in, in writing and publishing, it seems to be these weird sort of situations and, and different, like, things crashing together. Um, at the end of 20... My God, what year is it? At the end of 2019, <laughs> um, just, it, it, it's a long story and it's all explained in the front of the book, but I've got a novella out called The Rue, which is basically a completely gonzo creature feature about this uh, killer kangaroo that decimates an outback town. It is as ridiculous as it sounds. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was great fun and it's been a really popular book. Um, but it was so popular and so well received as a very Australian horror novella that it made me think twice about these other stories I'd had in mind for a long time, because for a, a long while I'd been thinking about creating this um, sort of fictional world, a bit like Castle Rock for Stephen King, where there's this city or this town that so many of his stories kind of orbit around in one way or another, and it's this place he can sort of revisit. Um, and I wanted to do that, but I wanted to do it with this really weird, isolated Australian harbour town, because there's so many great things that come from that isolation and the harbour town and the sea and all that sort of stuff so um and I was never really sure if it was a bit too kind of niche you know but then with the success of the Rue I was like well maybe it's not so niche after all mate because so many Americans as well were really enjoying the Rue um and then lockdown hit um the first Covid and my son suddenly was at home for homeschooling and my Kung Fu school got shut down and I had to figure out how to deliver things online suddenly I couldn't keep my head in the size of a novel space and so the combination of thinking about how successful the Rue had been and not being able to focus for long periods of time, I was like, I'm going to write those stories. I'm going to write, I'm going to create that town that I always wanted to, and I'm going to start writing those stories in the hope that I could subsequently revisit it. And so I sat down and wrote what I knew were basically going to be novellas. They're all sort of somewhere between 15, 20,000 words. Mm. Um, and there's five of them in the book and they're sort of interconnected. So it's a bit like a sort of a mosaic novel. Um, and thankfully, it's been very popular. And I'm, I'm currently working on the next set of five right now. I'm on the third of the next set of five at the moment, hopefully to put that out sometime early next year. Um, and so I get to keep playing in this sandpit and I get to have the same characters come and go. I get to have the weird situation I can keep developing. And, you know, and I've got a novel that I'm working on that is set not far from because the gulp is short for gulp pepper. Everybody calls the place the gulp because it has a habit of swallowing people. <laughs> and so I've got these other things that happen around it. So there's a novel that's set in the bush not far from gulp pepper. And I'm kind of creating this whole sort of weird Alan Baxter Australian universe that I can write around. So <laughs> I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah. And, and you know what ties that novella together is obviously the setting and you know that terrifying yeah. gulp. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It sounds fascinating and terrifying well, well yeah it is it, i mean it's it, for me it's his case for for a lot of people place is very much character so you can write the same story anywhere hopefully and the story itself will hold together but depending on where it is will have an effect on how that story develops and what happens in yeah. it so you know the same story set in a high rise in hong kong would be very different from the story set in an outback town in australia you can have fundamentally the same characters and ideas but the place is very relevant um, and I live near uh, a harbour town in, on the south coast of New South Wales, um, not one that's nearly as isolated as Goldpepper is, but that's 
part of the inspiration. Um, and all the other little kind of isolated towns as you get further south down the coast, I've, I'm always fascinated by those little parochial towns and the way you drive through long straight roads through nothing but bush to get to a new place. And, and I love to play with all of that stuff, plus the sort of the weirdness of the unknown in the ocean if you've got this mm. kind of this effect a bit like um, Lovecraft's Innsmouth is always so kind of compelling and dreadful for that reason um, and so I basically I just kind of wanted to combine all these things the isolation the harbour town the ocean the weirdness and the very Australian nature of it as well because I'm leaning so much more into the Australian now with my writing because there's so much British and American and stuff out there um, and as I'm developing an audience and a readership I'm really making a point of making things Australian, which means all the books these days now have a glossary in the back of Australian slang so that people <laughs> can love what these weird words and phrases mean, which is fun, yeah. <laughs> that is very fun. But no, I do think Australian setting, you know, beyond the outback is getting some real traction with readers. You know, there's been a lot of uh, books set in Tasmania, for example, yeah. and, and Brisbane and, and places that you haven't really explored before. So I love that idea of going to the south coast and those really isolated towns because there's so Australia, as you know, changes setting every time you get in the car and, you know, drive yeah. an hour down the road. So there's so yeah, much to explore. Yeah, state's like another country. Yeah. And when I wrote the Alex Kane series, it was very important that Alex Kane himself was Australian. And he, you know, it starts in Sydney and it goes around the world, but he's from the South Coast. I always try and get a little bit of that involved yeah. in there. Um, and as you say, like Angela Slade has written books set in, you know, real sort of dark urban fantasy books set in Brisbane. And so has Trent Jameson, for example. Yeah. And, you know, people like uh, Norell, uh, or Mental Blank, uh, but right in, and Kerry Arthur too, right in Melbourne. And they set their, their books there. And um, as you said, Tasmania, and there's the old thrillers that, like Peter Temple thrillers, had this real yep. Australian vibe to them. Yeah. And we need more of that because totally. people really embrace it. And we need they things do. that are more than just kind of Sydney, you know. Yes. And, and more than Sydney and the Outback. <laughs> yeah, and the Outback, exactly. I did the Outback thing with the Rue and I had a lot of fun with that. Oh, but Outback's I'm, fantastic. But yeah, I think, you I'm know, kind going of done beyond with that, that. Now, yeah, yeah, going beyond I want to do that this as well. different thing. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, that's why the Harbour Town and the bush surrounding it and a couple of nearby cities that are a bit bigger than Goldpepper and all that, I've got this spread of not outback and not city yeah but australia yeah 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 no that's fantastic i love that and the rue i'm gonna get my hands on that that sounds amazing oh it's <laughs> bananas yeah. yeah i love it it's right <laughs> up my alley i reckon <laughs> it's good fun it's yeah it was um i mean it's not just nonsense there's you know there's a bit more yeah. depth to it i like to think but um but it is just an unashamed creature feature yeah it's just love made it. for fun yeah love it <laughs> and in in our current lockdown situation i think the more mayhem mayhem chaos and fun the better i think that's what a lot of what's making it as popular as it is it's yeah it's it's escape. ultimate escapism yeah absolutely now you talked yeah. about Roald Dahl before and you know of course that's been he's been a part of all our childhoods i think but how mm. did you go from Roald Dahl to this <laughs> writer of dark weird fantastic stuff and why do you like exploring all that dark and weird stuff it's a good question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I read, when I was really little, I read a lot of fantasy. I was a massive, and still am, I, every, I'll still enjoy a big fat fantasy trilogy every once in a while. Um, and I love that kind of magical other world kind of thing. But I also, um, when I, even at the same age, I was reading a lot of Stephen King and James Herbert and Clive Barker especially was a huge influence on me with that weird crossover of horror and fantasy the weird what he calls the dark fantastique like yeah. things like the great and secret show and in magicka and weave world mm. and i just loved that 
thing where you take our world and you just kind of corrupt it and twist it a little bit and pretty much anything goes like with the Alex Kane series he ends up going to other worlds as well and then coming back to this one but it's all with that same kind of that kind of twisted slightly uncanny version of the real world around us and that's what I really like to play with because the world is weird and a lot of the time stuff happens that you wouldn't get away with in fiction you know like you see something in the news that you know an editor would refuse and go that's nah, too on the nose but <laughs> but with internal consistency in the stuff that you write you can really explore things and I always find that even if I don't necessarily intend it to things always tend to go darker because I think it's I've, I've said this before that horror is the genre of honesty because mm. you know I'm not a nihilistic person but we are all on the same journey and so ultimately you know entropy is the only consistent is the only constant really um and there's a lot of things where you can sort of find a happy ending or we're conditioned to expect sort of closure and stuff like that which is good and a lot of stories follow that but I find that I always tend to go down that more sort of honest route of well if it's bad now it's probably going to get worse um which which sounds nihilistic and sounds really dark but it's not especially I'm not I've I've got I'm a happy person I get most of this stuff out on the page that's why and it's not all doom and gloom you know sometimes people do survive so um Mm. it's but I love to play with that you know I'm not afraid to follow something as dark as it gets if I start walking down an alley I'll keep going to the end Mm, I like that and why do you think readers are drawn to horror because I I talk about this with crime and we sort of came to the conclusion that crime reflects society and it has character but it has sometimes it has humor but and it really reflects the human condition and the world and you know it has everything in it do you think horror is quite similar to that yeah definitely a lot of my horror um has crime and mystery Mm -hmm. elements to it they're very much um complementary genres um and I think that's exactly it there's on the one hand, there's that reflection where you get to, from the safety of your couch reading a book, you get to put yourself in horrible or frightening situations, like with criminals or monsters or whatever. And you get to kind of experience that, what would I do? Would I be like that? And you get that kind of visceral process. So it's cathartic in that respect. Um, and there's also a certain level of, this, for the same reason that we like to go on roller coasters, you know, we like the thrill of it. We like to, but knowing that actually we're kind of strapped in and safe all the same. And I think it's a combination of those two things, you know, you sort of, you put yourself into this situation that's going to trigger these emotional responses um, at the same time as reflecting back to you societal things that, you know, that make you think the best crime and the best horror is not just straight up violence or mm-hmm. or grimness you know it's stuff that makes you really think about and consider what it means to face those monsters and what people are like and what sort of decisions they do and whether you would do the same thing and all that kind of stuff so the best horror and the best crime and the best when those two are combined are when those sort of deep moral and societal questions get explored at the same time as you know people fighting monsters and having shootouts with criminals <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. And I'm a huge fan of crime and horror. And I think it gets you to question yourself and often your moral compass as well. You know, like how far would you go if something terrible happened? What are your limits? And I find that a really interesting question. Yeah, I explore that a lot as well, especially with the gulp. There's a couple of stories that are exactly looking Mm. at that and going, okay, this is a situation you've got. How far are you going to go? Yeah. And it's an interesting question that I don't think you can answer fully until you are in that situation. You can say, say, oh, I would do this or do that, but I guess you don't know until you face it. There's a lot of people who who like to think they would do a certain thing until they have to do it. And then, I mean, just from my, the other side of my life with the martial arts, you see it 
oh, a lot yeah. with with fighting just the straight up literal you know fisticuffs there's people that train for months and years and they're really good and they're really together um and then the first time they're faced with an actual fight they've got all these skills but then they're like oh, and they just kind of they freeze up and they can't deliver what they want because of the type of person that you are so it depends on how yeah. you train and we you know we deal with that a lot in training and you know non-covid times mm. um, we try to deal with that a lot with sparring and pad work and stuff because a lot of the time with sparring one of the first things that we do for people who are just you know putting the gloves on and sparring for the first time is right just defend yourself I'm just going to hit you a few times um, and you're not going to be able to block very well and I'm not going to hit you too hard don't worry but I'm going to hit you a few <laughs> times because until you learn what it's like to be hit you're not going to be able to get hit and carry on and in, almost invariably the first time someone really cops a shot they just oh god and the, the shock kicks in you know and they freeze up and it's it's a very confronting thing to happen mm. so a lot of training is about experiencing and working through those things and i see the same in crime and horror and whatever we explore those things through story so that if something horrible happens to us it's not the first time we've been here mm. it's oh that's so interesting i love that i love how you brought that real life into it but there's a, so many factors yeah. you know to to you know, think about how you're going to react to something it's your personal you know the, your, the intrinsic person that you are it's your values it's what's happening to you it's what's at stake and mm. there's so many of these things that you probably can't ever really know what you're going to do i used to do that when i watched the walking dead you know you'd go <laughs> what would i do if that was me <laughs> yeah and the situation can change with with, with very small differences like yes. if you find yourself in a situation and this happens and you react in one way if suddenly your child or someone is there who you have to put protect or something you would put you quite possibly act in a very different way yeah. you know if there's somebody else there who you think might look after you you would react in a different way and and it's really interesting to explore those things absolutely i think you hit the nail on the head when you put, bring a child into a particular own child i think everything then changes and shifts because then yeah. you, you would take you know the risks you take them all i guess yes exactly yeah mm. all of a sudden there's no holds you know yeah interesting really mm. interesting now such an accomplished writer of this genre what is one secret or one skill or one thing that you would tell people to really focus on if they wanted to write in this genre well to be honest and it's it sounds um sort of trite and but it's true of all genres the most important um skill you can have is just bloody minded determination because nothing else everything's out of our control in in writing and publishing and you know you can write the most amazing book and it can be absolutely outstanding and everybody who reads it thinks it's just brilliant but you can't place it with a publisher it's the wrong time it's the wrong thing we've just paid we've just published something like that or whatever there's a massive amount of luck involved in publishing for everybody and it's you've got to have a good manuscript you've got to have the skills to get the luck but you've still got to wait for the luck to come by. Mm -hmm. So all those things are sort of out of our control. So the only things that you can control are the writing. So you just keep writing and you do your best to get better and better. And you, you know, you try to take on board feedback you listen to if you've got beta readers or people who can help you out. You read voraciously because the more you read, the better you get as writing at writing. But all those things being a constant for everybody it's really a, a war of attrition and people it's bloody hard and it's thankless and rejection is the default. Most of the time you get, you're not successful. And so every <laughs> once in a while when you are, it's great. Um, but that's just the nature of the business. And so all other things being equal, you just got to stick it out. Mm. So you've got to have a thick skin and you just got to persevere because the difference between the published and the unpublished writer is not based on skill or talent because uh, even a, any competent manuscript can be published. 
it's about getting lucky at the right time and to get lucky at the right time you have to be consistent and not quit I love so, that that's yeah. really what it comes down to absolute bloody-minded persistence you've got to be too stubborn to quit <laughs> I like that and how does self-belief come into that because with rejections I mean you get a bit of a battering with that so how do you then just lift yourself up and go no no I believe in what I'm doing <laughs> It's it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? We're we're these very um, sort of we're kind of schizophrenic creatures as writers because on the one hand everyone is very sort of insecure and there's imposter syndrome. You're like, oh my god, why should anybody want to read this? I'm just talking crap. Why does anybody care? <laughs> and at the same time, we're like, a publisher should pay me money for this, and everybody should go out and pay money for the book and read this. So it's a real sort of mm. internal battle that goes on you know there's two wolves inside you one of you doesn't believe in you and the other wants all the success um but without some level of self-belief you're not gonna succeed because without some level of self-belief you're not going to be able to stick it out which takes us back to that you know mm. persistence and determination thing so it's really important to that's why i think it's it's really important to write what you're absolutely compelled to write and write the stories only you can write which is usually yeah. the stories you really want to read because if you're trying to write commercially or write to market or whatever that, that passion isn't in it mm. um better that you write what you really want to write and then try to find market for it and just keep pushing because i think it's really important to remember that adage that rejection is the default because all the time you're writing, most of the time you're not going to sell that writing. Mm -hmm. um, and then every once in a while you will. And then if you keep persisting and you keep submitting the same thing and you make it better every time it comes back, if you can, eventually it will find its home. And after you've been doing that for a while, you can always then remind yourself, it's like, right, you know, that story didn't sell for a long time, but then it sold and I got paid for it. And it was in that book and people really enjoyed it. And you can remind yourself of that when you're feeling that sort of lack of self-belief, you know? So it's hard to do until you've had the first few of those things come through. You've just got to be bloody minded to it. Um, but the other side of it is once you do get stuff, a lot of people say, you know, a bad review can ruin my day. And it's like, well, okay, so just read the 10 good reviews that came before it. Because if you believe the bad one, you have to believe yeah. the good ones too. Yeah, yeah. So that that sort of more positive feedback loop is important, you know, because mm. it helps to keep, it stops you spiraling into this imposter syndrome or worry or lack of self-belief. You, yeah. You've kind of got to have a bit of ego really to, yeah, you've got to be, the stubbornness comes from having the ego to go, no, I am good enough. <laughs> Once you start that. selling some stuff and getting a bit of feedback, that gets reinforced. So yeah. that's useful, but you've kind of got to have it anyway. <laughs> mm, I love that. I love the constant battle of the two wolves because I think that's so true, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a question I'd love to ask the guests that come onto the podcast, final question, and we've touched on it a little bit, but maybe you can mm. go a bit deeper on it. Alan, why do you write? Uh, because I can't not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah, on, on the one hand, it is that, um, it's that ego. It's like, hey, I've got stuff to say. You people should read it. <laughs> um, that is part of it. I just, my head, I think I've mentioned this before, how I think the only difference between writers and non-writers is that we remember too much of the stuff that we see. Because yeah. everybody sees the same. Everyone's like, where do you get your ideas from? It's like, well, just everywhere. Life is ideas. Like, it's constant. I'll get 50 mm -hmm. ideas a day. Ideas are never the problem. Time to write them all down <laughs> is the problem. Um, but it's that, I think that's that thing for writers that we see things and it immediately goes into story brain. It immediately starts syncing up with other little things we've seen and we're like, oh, that situation, that person, that would make a great character. That's the start of a story right there. Your, your subconscious does that all the time. Um, 
and when you have that kind of mind, that story brain constantly working, you can't not do something to get those out of your head. Otherwise, you uh, you know you go bananas <laughs> with it. When I was younger, I used to do a lot of role playing games. I would do a lot of D and D and Shadowrun and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And a lot of the time, I would want to be the GM, not the player, because then I got to tell the story. And so it's kind of why I came to writing a bit later in life, because for my teens and through my early 20s, I was hanging out with my mates and we were role playing every week and I was running these games and I was telling stories constantly. And I loved it. I kind of exercised that. Mm, I love that. That muscle, right? Uh, yeah. And so then when I when I started traveling and then ended up in Australia and everything else, then I wasn't doing that so much anymore. And I realized how much I still needed to tell. So, and I was still writing stories at that time as well but just not as much. And then, yeah, as once I got traveling and ended up here in Australia and not role-playing every week, I found that I had more of this urge to get these stories out and constantly seeing these things. I've got stories to tell. I've got characters. Mm. And it's it's because it's fun. I love, I love the idea or I love being entertained by a good story. And it absolutely thrills me to think that I could write someone that somebody else will read and go, oh my God, I'm having such a good time with this story. You know, that's just that's fantastic. Mm, I love that. I love that a lot. I love how you brought in that sort of that game playing and that role playing and then brought that into storytelling. I think that's well, amazing. yeah, absolutely. Game playing, uh, mm. movies, graphic novels and books. Yeah. They're, they're, to me, they're all this intertwined bits around itself it's all story and it's all it, yeah it's all experience like that and yeah I love them all yeah and as human beings we love story we thrive on it we've needed it since the beginning of time you know we've always right. loved right. it's story. how we process everything mm, uh, absolutely. The, the more story we can consume the more sort of fuel for processing that stuff we have yeah and I think the better humans we become actually yeah I agree with you readers are the best people yeah totally <laughs> speaking to the um converted here absolutely yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Alan, it's such a pleasure to finally speak to you about all things. And what I loved about this conversation is that I have six questions I didn't even ask you, which is so great because it just means that we just had this wonderful organic conversation, which are the best conversations, can I say? Well, that's good. I'm glad. Thanks very much. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much. Um, devastated we couldn't meet in person but we're doing our best virtually online yes let's hope it happens again sometime soon and we can do that in person. absolutely but thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure and delight to speak to you no worries thanks so much for having me Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.